Welcome to the International Bus Podcast by Wordbee. This is your co-host, Tanya Falkner. And I'm your co-host, Robert Rogi. For today's episode, we invited someone who has been in the industry since 1982. He is a translator, localizer, a technical writer, and he's even been running his own consulting business for 16 years called Squid. Not only that, he was also teaching terminology and localization at a university in Rome. He has written several books and articles, and he's still speaking regularly at conferences and holding webinars and workshops. Today's guest is Luigi Muzzi. Welcome, Luigi. Hi. Hi. Hello, everybody. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. We're super excited to have you on the show. So I'm going to open up with the first question, because I don't want to take credit for this hard-hitting question. So that, that was definitely Tanya was, had the idea. Okay, so you have a, a reputation for being particularly critical. Um, mm -hmm. Some would say that you're perhaps a contrarian, although I'm not so sure about that. In your article, Reality Check, there's this line from there that is just amazing. I'm pretty sure it was from the Reality Check article. It says, whether a translator, an LSP, or an advisor, a bullshitter is always there, mouth-breathing his or her words like mere vapor, um, which is awesome. So we were just talking before we got started, and um, it's almost impossible to match your voice in person to the voice in writing. So I guess we were wondering, how do you see yourself and have you ever had any consequences or problems for your critical or the sort of the, the tone of your works? I always had problems with my opinions because I'm not really a contrarian as, it, as someone would like to define me, but I'm simply an outspoken man and not really afraid of being how can I say, uh, of speaking, of my, uh, mounting my opinions, even when they are against the common thought. The, my latest book, which is a collection of my blog posts over the year, the years, is called Upstream because I never liked to be mainstream. And this is, the translation industry is a mainstream industry. Hmm. If you have the chance to browse the blogs and articles and even books in this industry, uh, no one is uh, taking a stance, uh, a clear stance against something or someone that could harm or compromise its uh, its own reputation or job. Or and uh, the only stances taken against customers or agencies at large or uh, so mm -hmm. uh, figures, abstract figures that no one can uh, right. identify precisely. It's always it's someone else, right? Yeah, uh, it's always someone else. But this is a, a huge problem for the industry because in this, in this way, there's no competition, no real competition. All the uh, profiles are flattening out. So everyone more or less looks the same as the others. And in a way, this reflects even, for example, in uh, the usage of quality as the USP of the industry, the unique selling proposition Mm -hmm. of the industry. So there's no real differentiation. When I wrote that the article you were referring to, mm -hmm. I was actually not expecting to receive any real reaction because uh, what I was thinking at the moment was, okay, I will uh, 
I'm going to write this piece. The people will say, oh, yes, the same Luigi as always, mm -hmm. the same old man. Well, final word with starting with an A and ending with a whole <laughs> no. word. So that, that, yeah, 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 yeah. We sure, don't think definitely. so at Worthy, I don't think. No, not you and Bob. <laughs> yeah. Specifically you. But that's what I... Over the years, I have been insulted more than once for my opinion, for having outspoken. I actually thought, I was actually thinking that the uh, that article would be received just like any other article I wrote over the over the years. Huh, and I'm quite surprised that it was not. Yeah. Well, are there any particular actors in the industry that you think are doing a good job of being open-minded with how they communicate about things and being perhaps more self-critical or more honest? Or is it pretty much everybody? No. Well... The one I never known, and I would never be agree with him, even if he were still alive, was uh, a Spanish financial translator that died a few years ago. It was just outspoken as I am, but on an opposite side compared with me. So that could be one, a man that could be really an honest, uh, intellectually honest man. There are even other people in this industry that do a, a very good job and very good people. I'm in very good relationship with most of them, and I could uh, name uh, more than a more than a dozen of them. But they, for one reason or another, even when they tell me that they appreciate my articles, that they share my opinions, then they. Uh, when it comes to offering me some job or referring me to people for consulting or, well, uh, they're not the same uh, willing because probably I'm, uh, I'm scaring. I am, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I was just educated in like this. So uh, to be honest, uh, not to be hypocrite. And I grew up thinking that hypocrisy, it's mining. It's putting can put your work and your career at risk rather than being profitable for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there ever like a time or do you recall a specific case where you think maybe you shouldn't have said something in particular or maybe something that was not so great for your business? Um, well, I will, you would change? I'm going to answer you with, with a song. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite songs was one of the most famous song. Lady was the the, the General Gravion. Mm -hmm. I don't regret anything. I have no regrets. So mm -hmm. it's hard to me to find a a day or time or whatever where I could have said something that I would not say again. Is that the original uh, for uh, the Frank Sinatra "My Way" or no? It's not, not right. Frank It was not Frank Sinatra's. It was not even the Canadian uh, song, singer songwriter. I can remember. It's a. It's someone else. No, it's a. Uh, Jeanne Gregorian is Edith Piaf. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And it's the song of the legend, when the the the, the song that the legionnaires, the French legionnaires, were singing when exiting from Algiers in the late uh, in the early sixties. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, wonderful song. You have to pay attention to the lyrics. It's so... Definitely. I I'll like the song out. and I like the idea of 
just not having any regrets. It's yeah. Really- uh, once you've done anything, it's done. So it's no use in, in having regrets. What Definitely. is done is done. Totally agreed. I thought you were going to sing a few bars for us for a second there. And I thought, yes, that's going to be the first time someone <laughs> sings on the international buzz. No, no. Actually, my French is even worse than my English. So no, 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 no. <laughs> right. <laughs> next time (laughs) cool so well we like the stuff that you write regardless of tone at least it's interesting it's provocative it stirs the soup and and you have usually a a pretty good idea of of what you're talking about i think that's my personal assessment so like moving on we're going to transition and sort of pivot towards technology and language technology and to kick off that part of the discussion, we have a quote here from your website that says, technology should be functional. It must integrate in processes, not shape them. However, processes must be designed according to the technology that is expected to be employed to manage them. And we were wondering if you could unwrap that concept for us. Yes, that's the, the curse, the translation technology and of the translation technology companies. Because the problem with translation technology in particular, but and with technology in general, is that we expect technology to solve our problems. Most problems do not require technology to be solved. It's most problems just need to be solved, just need a different approach, a different state of mind and to be capable of identifying uh, the issues in a process, try to correct them and move on until you have a perfectly working way of working, way of operating, and then find the tools, not just one, not just a platform, but the tools could be many that fit into your way of working. Technology should fit you as a street not the way the other way around and that's why we have a, this problem with uh, translation technology because all those platforms and tools simply replicate the century old process of every freelancer every translation company even every translation buyers and so there's just one thing that i feel i I would like to tell to everybody in this industry and is not to be obsessed with the technology. Technology must be useful, must be functional. If you get trapped, if you get caught with technology, that means that you have been having problems before adopting technology. As you said, we don't need technology to solve problems. I get that. But don't you think that technology makes it easier to solve them, even though Definitely. maybe, of course, we could do it without, but... Definitely. But if you rely on technology to solve your problems, there's something, I wouldn't say bad, but anyway, there's something bad in your approach. Sorry. Do you have any specific examples of how technology should integrate in the processes and not shape them? Like something specific about a particular tool that you've used or a, a thing that you've tried to achieve? Well, okay, a couple of days ago when I was in Athens, one of the attendees asked me if he could exploit my presence there and have a, have a some piece of advice for free and say, okay, 
Fai asked me, and he asked me, what is, in your opinion, the tool, the translation tool that offers the best quality price ratio in the world right now? And you answered WordBee, right? <laughs> no, I answered, <laughs> I answered, this is a wrong question because there's no one tool. I would like to say there's one tool, but there's no one tool. There's no one platform. It is the platform that best fits you because you are unique with your processor, with your education, with your knowledge. I could give you another example. I have been fighting for years against quality standards in translation. In 2001 or 2002, can't remember right now, the BTTF 138 task force was established to draft the new quality standards that later became the EN um, 15038. I was in the Italian committee. I was not the, I asked the Italian committee not to be chosen to represent Italy as general, general meetings. But I really worked hard on my side for that effort. And I remember then it, me, yes, better, the Italians, the uh, Brits and the Swedish were the only three groups uh, pushing for adopting ISO 9000 to draft a standard that fits into ISO 9000 to forge the certification standard applying to ISO 9000 specifically for translation. So at the time, ISO 9003 was the one standard that could fit the need of the translation industry. So we three, Italian, Swedish, and Brits, were thinking, were saying, okay, just use the existing standards. The objection was that ISO 9000s were too costly and here, here, too stiff, too rigid, not enough flexible. Well, the outcome and even the following outcome, ISO 1700, were even stiffer, were even more rigid than the original ISO 9000. They were made more and more flexible and lean over the years. And the icing of the cake, on the cake was that uh, now if you are going to certify the uh, 1700 as well as you, the same um, 15038, you have to certify to ISO 9002 because we don't have a certification standard. And the ASTM 2575, the ISO 1700, the 11669, and even the new ISO standard on post they just freeze a modus operandi, a way of working, Mm -hmm. a snapshot of the way of working that the whole industry has been following for decades, for centuries even. This approach is replicated in technology. I think that kind of relates to your article from 2014 called the red pen syndrome. Yeah, um, exactly. When you talk about TEP. And in that article, you suggested trying to be more agile, to try to replicate agile processes instead of these classic processes. And you also mentioned checklists. Can you go into some of the sort of lateral thinking that you think would help the translation industry escape from these age-old um, processes and why they might work? Okay. 
Agile is another buzzword in this uh -huh. industry, has become a buzzword lately. But there could be no Agile with TEP because it's a serial process and allows for no circularity, no parallelism, no parallel processing, and so on and so forth. And worst of all, we have no other way of measuring anything in translation. KPIs are still very little adopted in this uh, industry. We have no specific translation-related KPIs. Probably some LSPs has its own way of tracking uh, some KPIs, but there's no common effort, no shared effort to draw some KPI that could be useful for the industry to measure the efforts uh, done by everyone in this industry. So that's just one of the many problems we have. We still have the uh, old-fashioned way of measuring quality, that is measuring errors, when we have no common way to define errors. We have error types, error classifications, and class of errors, importance, and levels, and so on and so forth. You know how the ISO 9000 came out? They came out for the manufacturing industry. That's true. But to answer a need for standardizing processes, but not to make every company working in the same way, but just to give companies the same basis to work on. Uh, one of the most serious problems during World War One was in ammunition, because there were no standards for ammunitions for projectiles, especially for light arms, light weapons, but even for artilleries and, uh, and so on. And the number of accidents were impressive. So the need for standards came from the need of reducing errors. And this process evolves and now uh, gets to the Six Sigma, for example, or the CMMI where the focus is no longer on catching errors, but in preventing errors. We are still at the error-catching stage, but we have no common definition for errors. And it's a typical school-teacher approach. You know, the, the school-teacher, they say, okay, no, 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 this is, a, this is a, a serious mistake. Blue, blue, I'm going to use the blue pencil. Okay, this is a minor mistake. I'm going to use the red pencil and so on and so forth. This doesn't help the industry progress. This is the we are stuck in the past. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that technology could help here? I mean, when you say there's no common solution for yes, but if you want to develop a software to measure quality. Mm -hmm. What would be the uh, base for measurement, the metric? Mm -hmm. Again, catching errors. And so you have to start all over again. That's the, uh, that's the problem. It's an Ouroboro. You know, it's a vicious circle. It's not... Uh... Anyway, this is my idea. Are there uh, any technologies in particular that exist today that you find particularly promising in those regards? Oh, yes. Now that 
machine learning has become a reality, there could be many, many potential advances in this area. Well, I have to admit that a good friend of mine took some advice I gave him and is making a good job with his platform. But I, I won't name this platform. It wouldn't be nice for no one. But machine learning is a, is a way, it could be a, a path to go to find new way of measuring. Another way as, for example, all the TMS producers, they think of a way to allow their users customize their KPI. But this, again, would require standard metadata. And this is not something we are not there yet. This is something we are trying to deal inside the topic, the pre-standardization effort uh, that GALA, the association, has um, set up, has established. But again, it is a pre-standardization effort. We should have to agree on the kind of metadata we should use in this industry that would allow the players of this industry to reckon their own, to calculate, to process their own KPIs and to have a common way of displaying these KPIs to buyers so that when talking about quality, quality really means something. Hmm. So just out of curiosity, have you ever used uh, WordBee or do you know anything about WordBee? Yeah, 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 yeah. I must say, I must admit that I most often disguise myself when asking for a, when registering for a trial account. Right. But I, I actually explored a word B as the same, the same as I did for other platforms for Memsource or uh, Smartling or mm. other platform of this kind. I must say that. The feature I like most in uh, WordBee is that there's a different approach in respect to freelancers and LSPs. What I mean is that even though the platform is the same, freelancers can use it in a totally different way than LSPs may use it. So that's very important. The user interface, it's almost different. It's some way different. That's the thing I like most in uh, Warby. So the, the the only problem is that you still have to, to, to rely on a reliable connection. And that could be a problem even in uh, some areas here in huh. Italy or in Spain or in France. So, uh, right. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the challenge I think at Werby right now is because like some of the things that you mentioned are true, but then some of them are not true. But there's so many features in Werby that it's hard to sometimes get them out there. So like, for example, you can export a bilingual word file and you can translate in Microsoft Word with WordB. Um, you can export an XLE file and, and work offline. Yeah. But same with KPIs. It's like, you know, they have, uh, we have in WordBe a, a pretty thorough set of analytics, whether it's like time to delivery or, you know, how long it takes a translator to accept a project, which translators turn them around the fastest, the throughput of any given project manager, how efficient uh, are each project manager's projects. 
Um, well, anyway, the I think I was describing a moment ago about yeah. different approach for the single freelancer and the LSP yeah. is one of the things I, I would like to see in most TMS or in most translation environment tool at large. Right. I mean, when you are an LSP, you may want to use a single platform and uh, when your vendor manager logs in, see a different user interface exposing different items, different features, even though they are populating, they will be populating the same database. If you are a project manager, you will you should be able to work on a on a still different user interface and to for budgeting, for example, or vendor selection or planning in in general. So there would be a real collaboration, not real-time collaboration, real collaboration between business units. So what is the, the job of a vendor manager? It's not just recruiting. It's betting, is keeping touch with vendors, keeping track of changes in vendors' experience, uh, specialization, and so on and so forth. This is are the sort of things that a project manager should not be interested in. Uh, should be interested in seeing a list of candidate vendors and pick the ones that best fit for the project and how on, uh, on the base of a rating. And this rating should come from the activity of the vendor manager and from objective data. So the KPIs, that are relevant to a specific vendor, a specific freelancer or whatever. And that's the kind of thing that are now quite easy to achieve with a machine learning algorithm. They would have required thousands of lines of codes uh, when in the past when you can just rely on, S- on SQL. So it's, much, it's supposed to be much easier now. Mm-hmm. I think what you just mentioned before is kind of relating to an article you wrote at the beginning of last year, where you said that you think that TMSs are generally lacking the feature of fully workflow management system in terms of that they need, you know what you mentioned, the project management, but also uh, budget management, resource allocation and that sort of stuff. How come you don't see this full workflow management in today's TMSs? Well, I must admit, I spent many years in large companies with plenty of resources and in some cases, even money and a lot on software. And I have the chance to learn from the greatest software producing companies in the world from uh, two 3D database uh, management, uh, three-dimensional database management systems, or real-time database, and so on and so forth. So the things I wrote in my uh, actually a reflection, the things I have seen in, in the past, and that were just affordable for a li- very limited tool of companies in those years, I mean, before the year 2000. But they are now quite cheap, even for a, for a small size 
technology company. So I'm surprised, not just because they think that these technology companies are not not the knowledge, the, the experience to develop those kind of features, but just because they are trying to meet their prospects. And most of these prospects are inside, are within the industry. So we have a of the typical attitude of the industry, the one that we were talking a few minutes ago. I don't blame translation companies in this respect. Mm -hmm. Do you see, I mean, of course, TMS have evolved a lot in the past centuries. <laughs> Do you see this changing towards being more of what you described as a fully working workflow management system as they used to be? Could be a starting point. That could mm -hmm. be a starting point, yes. Again, a few examples. I was attending and speaking at the first back in uh, 2009, even earlier. And at that time, MemoQ was a, was a wonderful, a wonderful tool because it was lean, uh, light, agile, fast, uh, yes still be missing something, but it was really a novelty. But the reference at the time was Trados. Mm -hmm. It was not still was not yet SDL Trados, was all the the old Trados. So I don't say it was easier, but it, it could mark a diff, okay? I'm still a MemoQ user for the very occasional translation project I could be asked to do, but it's too clogged with features that I can't do without. I mean, my dream with software is, okay, this is the whole bunch of features I have in my package. Okay, let's start with this one. So the core, mm -hmm. the core, the, the, the kernel, okay? Mm -hmm. Like in, the, in an operating system, the kernel is launched and then The module you have selected will add on the kernel, and you have a very, a very light environment, a very light tool that is mm. lean and easy to use. Like a granular and control I, over I, what you see yeah. and, and what you don't at any, any given moment. Yeah, and that was what I was hoping to see in the web-based tools, because you can't clock a web-based with too many features that you can have the resource to handle. So you should check out the new WordBee editor actually, because it, I think it does. Um, oh, oh, I, as a former yeah, I, Wordbee, I like it. I like it. I must say I like it. Yes. Have you seen the new, new yes. one though? The one with the colors and the background and all that? No, the one yes. with, no, I must say not the one with the colors. <laughs> yeah, colors. there's a new one actually. There's okay. a new editor and yeah, uh, I'm not sure look. when, It's available for, or Tanya, do you know, is the, is the new editor available right now? Like if a freelancer signs up, is that the one I, I get? I think so. Yes, I think so. Right. It's pretty I believe, new. I believe you can choose still, you can still choose between the old and the new version. Right. Yeah. It's worth looking at because I think they've made a decent effort at exactly what you're talking about, about trying to minimize a little bit the interface and not overwhelm the translator with too many tools and bells and whistles and stuff. So you can do, you know, in WordBee, of course, uh, anything you can do in MemoQ and 
probably more just saying but um <laughs> that doesn't mean that there is a clogged interface they've tried to hide it you know in today's age of single page applications it, it should be totally possible to have a yeah. feature rich interface that doesn't overwhelm the user yeah you know what i love most in uh, smartphones is it is they help a lot uh, software developers to slim down their applications even windows has uh, as gained as profited from smartphones because it's windows 10 is now a very smart and fast operating system is not yet the perfect operating system but much better than its predecessors you know um used to say that we um holding a real supercomputers in our hands today when i started working in this industry in 1982 i was using a typewriter and i feel my and i consider myself lucky because i have a, a letter 22 was an olivetti was the portable olivetti typewriter it was really really light at the time but this it weighs Two or three kilos, I can't remember right now. It wasn't not really portable. When I bought my first PC, it had 64K of RAM, 64Ks, and 20 megas of hard drive. So, and it was, yes, it was a few years back, but not that many. I bought my first PC in a 1988, so... The exponential trend we are facing in uh, since the Apollo program is bypassing us in the translation industry. It seems like we are still at the Kudelberg's time. Hmm. Well, we're working on it at Werby. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I don't know what else to say. I don't think we could pump out features any faster than we are. (laughs) I I think if we had 20 more developers, we still couldn't pump out features faster because... Again, I don't blame translation. Yeah, yeah. I think they are trying to give the people what they want. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, people are asking for... I'm not asking right. I mean, yeah, uh, they should be. For the right they things. should start asking something for something different. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, that's true. Customers don't always know what they want. That happens all the time, actually. So let's go ahead and start wrapping up. So, what's the most controversial opinion or controversial prediction that you can think of at this moment? Predictions. Yeah, controversial ones. No, no, predictions. In okay, <laughs> okay no, just regular predictions. You know, there's a, there's a Danish, I uh, was a Danish uh, comic, uh, comic writer that once told that predictions are always hard, especially when they have to do with the future. This is a statement I like very much. It is always attributed to Niels Bohr, the, the physician, but the, the physicist, the physicist, sorry. But it's, this is the uh, one of the favorite sports in the industry. At the beginning of every year, we can be awake all night to be counting the countless predictions for the coming year. The only one prediction I could make is that we will continue to see mergers and acquisitions in this industry. And this is because the organic growth is becoming harder and harder every day. 
That's an interesting prediction. We've actually just talked about mergers and acquisitions in one of our last podcast episodes. And we did yes. well. Renato and I have different, <laughs> different mm. views. The very last podcast we did, we talked about M&A, but just M&A with Peter Argandizo from Argo Translations. Yeah. And uh, he's going through the process of, you know, looking for acquisitions to make. So with him, I think with Renato, it was a little more like theoretical. Um, but with Peter, we got into like the nitty gritty details of how mm -hmm. you go about trying to make it. I totally recommend to listen. It was a pretty sharp podcast. Why do you think that there's so little M&A going on in language technology? Like for me, uh, you know, I started working with WordB first. I think it was like with my previous company back in 2009 or something. And then I started uh, collaborating with WordB in 2011, 2012. And I don't know, like in other industries, it seems like you make a good tool because WordB is a pretty good tool. I mean, they have huge customers, you know, like Air France is a customer. I mean, they have huge enterprises. They got small companies. They got all, a great business. And I would have expected that someone would have been like, yeah, okay, it's about time to go buy WordBe. And one of these big companies would come along and buy WordBe. And I would have expected the same thing to happen to, you know, like in other industries, it happens to pretty much anybody who makes any tool that works. So like, why do you think there's not so much M&A going on with technology providers in particular? Because of the attitude, the general attitude of the people within the translation industry, um, you know, as long as translation technology companies will still be looking more at the translation industry players rather than the translation industry customers, the, the translation buyers, there will always be uh, this neglection, uh, the, this under-consideration, uh, this kind of technology. The greatest and the worst at the same time think that Google Translate have done to uh, translation technology was to popularize it. But when you talk about translation technology to everyone outside this industry, to any outsider, the only thing he can, this outsider can think of is machine translation in general. And it's more or less the same attitude I was, I dealt with when at the beginning of my career, I was answering the question, what do you do? And I, my answer was, I'm a translate words. I'm a localizer. Uh, you what? Yes, I'm a localizer. And what do you do? I'm localized, mostly localized software. Localized. Uh, okay, tell me more about it. And so I have to explain all in details. Oh, okay, fine. So you, which kind of studies, what, which kind of education do you have? And that most of the people were astonished in knowing that I have no formal education in language, no formal education in technology, no formal education in engineering, or, but a specific, some specific experience on the job. And again, when my friends, translator friends, answered that they were a translator, what do you do? I am a translator. Oh, how many languages you spoke? Uh, confusing, that's confusing uh, translators and interpreters. Or again, this is something that in the translation industry has never done. We, right. one of the things I hear the most in this industry is to educate the customer. 
Well, you can't educate anyone if he or she is not willing to be educated. But even in this case, it's not you who is supposed to be educated anyone. The industry as a whole, so the trade associations, should educate the public at large, the public in general. But I never saw a newspaper ad, a page in a magazine, or a TV ad talking about translation. Because it's universal. There's no need to explain. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, even as a language technology provider in a, in a day-to-day conversation, it's like, yeah, okay, I, we build this platform uh, for businesses to make their translations. And they, people will ask you actually the same question, like, uh, oh, how many languages do you speak? <laughs> uh, it's like, well, actually, I'm a developer or I'm a marketer or... Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and the fragmentation of the industry is reflected even in the fragmentation of trade associations. We have ILIA, GALA, uh, FIT, UATC, and this and that, AALC, and a... Oh yeah, there's like 150 or something, I think. Uh, Why can't we get together? Why Why can't we engage why can we be involved in a single effort that have our industry be better known, be better understood by the public? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It would be kind of nice if uh, it would be a good article for the future, maybe to compare the translation industry in terms of associations with another industry. Like, for example, I don't know, the pork industry in the United States or I don't know, because it's true, like pork industry in the United States, you see these commercials on TV paid for by the pork industry. Yeah. Um, I think pork industry is a lot bigger than the translation industry. So I don't think yeah. that the translation industry is going to have like a Super Bowl ad, but they could they could have something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I got milk. Yeah, 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 exactly. That was the one I was thinking of, actually, but I didn't want to pick the obvious one. Yeah, no, so no, 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 no. There's no bad in picking the obvious. But again, the a uh, few years ago, uh, Common Sense Advisory compared the translation industry to the bicycle industry. Well, we all know that there's not just one bicycle manufacturer in the world. Only in Italy, we should have, we're supposed to have I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 companies producing uh, bicycles. But everyone is sooner or later facing with the need for better lanes for bikes, for bicycles, or respect for cyclists and so on and so forth. And, you know, I sort of commuting between Amsterdam and Rome. And Amsterdam is the is the... There are more bicycles than people in Amsterdam. But I don't think of the brand of the bicycle. I just think of the bicycle. I just think of the bike. So that's and the manufacturers are joining their uh, resources and their efforts to promote the industry. That's why the industry is a still could still remain fragmented, pulverized, the same as the translation industry without suffering that much. Can you tell me which is the most the major exporter uh, country exporting bicycles in the world? 
I hmm. have no idea. <laughs> Let me get. I want to guess though. That's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, let's go with. Uh, I'm gonna at least for me. I'm gonna guess. Well, it wouldn't be Holland, even though I they think, have a lot of bikes. Yeah. I think Asia. I don't know. I don't want to specify on, <laughs> on a country, but I think an Asian country. No. I'm gonna go with that's, Spain. No, that's the problem. We are thinking of a country where bicycles are so many, or where there could be a large industry to produce them. It's Portugal. Hmm. So that's the proof of the body. You know that. Uh, there's no need to be huge to be important. Hmm. Totally. Yeah. Well, I think that our customers would agree as well. I mean, Wordbee is a, a pretty big company these days, but I don't think any of the language technology companies are huge. Like, I mean, they're not as huge as technology providers are in other industries where, you know, they have several hundred employees and stuff like that. But I guess we're all pretty important. So that's a pretty good way to wrap up. So, hey, thank you for coming on the show. It was super interesting. Thank I, you for we, we left me. some. Yeah, no problem, Luigi. We left topics on the for... table for next time, actually. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> thank so... you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for awesome. joining us. Okay. See you. Thanks, Luigi. Bye, Have Luigi. a great day. Thank you, too. Bye. All right. So let's wrap up this episode of the International Bus Podcast brought to you by Warbeam with today's episode, Luigi Muti. Bye, everyone. Yeah, bye. Be sure to check out the WordBee Translation Management System. Not that this is a commercial podcast. It's been pretty uncommercial so far, I think, Luigi. But if you are listening and you need a translation management system, check it out. <laughs>